This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week, actually Friday at noon. Uh, it'll be me and Matt taking live mailbag questions, maybe bringing some people on to talk with us live on the show for our Friday edition. Every Friday on the Locked On app, Locker Room app, you're going to want to check that out. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, welcome in, everybody, to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Matis, flying solo today. Matt Moore has the night off, and I'm going to be taking you through notebooks, notebook notes uh, on Denver's win um, last night. An interesting one. Maybe not the most inspired win uh, that the Nuggets have had so far this season, but, you know, a dub is a dub, and there's plenty of things to kind of take away from it. The sixth straight of the Aaron Gordon era, the seventh straight of uh, for the Nuggets overall, and that ties a the longest streak of the Jokic era. They've done it twice, once last season, once the season before. I think all the way back in 2018, they had a six-game winning streak. Prior to that, only four-game winning streaks and three-game winning streaks. So Denver, you know, in the George Carl era, it felt like the Nuggets got big wins, big winning streaks going every single year. This, in the Jokic era, or the Malone era, however you want to categorize it, it, that hasn't been the case, you know, and some of this is a little bit finicky. I mean, this year you're talking about, although a lot of these wins, I think five of the seven wins of the streak have come at home, you still don't get quite the same boost you usually would get from a home crowd. And I think traditionally, especially in the Carmelo Anthony era, that Pepsi Center was rocking. You had the altitude advantage, and I think there was just a stronger home court advantage, at least at that time. But again, it's a little unfair because last year the season was cut short. And then this year, of course, no fans in the stands. And we're talking about the two best uh, years of the Jokic era so far. So perhaps next year, you can anticipate a little bit longer winning streaks, certainly longer home winning streaks with the Nuggets over time. At least that's kind of my theory. But we're going to get into it. If you're new to the show, notebook notes, I go through in chronological order. I rewatch the games. I take detailed notes. And then I share those uh, here on this show. And there should be a companion piece. I think I'll end up, I have a bunch of clips spliced. It's just a matter of whether or not I'll have time tonight to write write those up and publish them. Uh, but they should be up on the DNVR.com for DNVR members. You can check out the videos of all the clips I'm going to be talking about today. So you can kind of put a, you know, a look to the description I'm giving you. The Spurs decided to guard Jokic one-on-one in the post, and it one, that's an interesting choice. You know, I think especially given the starting lineup that they have, I'll, I'll be curious to see, one, if Jamal Murray is back in the next game. If he's back, you know, maybe that's your best bet is to just tell Jokic to go one-on-one, see if Jakob Pertl can handle him. Probably not, but see if he can because you stay home on shooters. But when the Nuggets started Faku, you thought maybe they would send a little bit more help early on off of Faku's guy and try to let him force the action, but they didn't. They wanted to stay home, and as a result, Jokic got off to a very good start, a very strong start. And the fact that he was able to take it at Pirtle, I know it's funny because we're Jokic is the leading candidate right now for MVP. I think the overwhelming heavy favorite, despite some of the things you hear on podcasts and TV. Uh, he's so great. Nobody's really been able to stop him. But it was just two years ago that the Spurs and Jakob Pertl in particular, I thought, did a very nice job on him. Now, Jokic averaged like 27 points per game in that series. He had a 47 piece on, on Pertle. By no means did Pertle stop him. But I thought Pertle did a good job two years ago of sort of making life tough for him. Jokic a little bit more slimmed down, a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger, a little bit better all around. And not even just a little bit, a lot of bit. And in particular, in particular, better at scoring and better at one-on-one scoring. So 
you watch a guy like Jakob Pertl now go up against Jokic, and he just like kind of destroyed him, to be honest with you. Very, very uneven matchup. Michael Portis, no revelation, but this might have been the worst game for him in terms of strength. You know, he's still young. He's got a lot of strength to add. He's got that skinny frame. He's got really high hips. I don't know that he's ever going to be like a a beast or anything like that physical, physically, but his hand strength and arm strength in general is just so weak, like shockingly weak. Every game, there seems to be one or two plays where somebody takes the ball out of his hands or he misses a rebound or misses a pass or something or in traffic doesn't come up with a loose ball. And in this game, I thought there was like seven or eight. That's why I say it was the worst one. And maybe it was just the worst one because you know because of the circumstances because he happened to be in a position to for that weakness to be highlighted so much but it's a real weakness and he just has to get a lot a lot stronger uh with the ball in his hands Jokic gets a turnover uh on a dribble handoff with Michael Porter and it was Porter's fault one he took too wide of an angle on the dribble handoff and two it just became a thing where it's like DeJounte Murray got a hand on the ball but Michael but Michael Porter also had his hand on the ball just his hands are so weak on the handoff that he couldn't he couldn't hold on to it so um, just, it really st- stood out like a sore thumb in this one. Um, he also didn't have any defensive intensity to start the game. And I've been raving about Michael Porter, you know, for a month. This one was not a good game from him. And there were moments of a uh, very good and he finishes seven of 14 for 18 points. So he finishes with a pretty decent stat line, but I thought this was actually kind of a weaker game for him and his defensive intensity was just really weak. One of the things that's been great for Denver over the Aaron Gordon era is that there's been this honeymoon phase where the team has been playing, you know, near playoff level defense, just rotating everything on a string. But that is predicated on all five guys being sort of locked in. And I felt like Michael Porter in this one, it was the second night of a back-to-back. It, it We are sort of getting into the dog days of the season where we're not quite, you can't quite see the finish line of the season, but you've been playing for so long. So I, and they won. So I understand, you know, maybe a dip in intensity, but you don't want to see that become a trend. And in this game, it certainly was noteworthy that the intensity from him and really the whole team, but especially him in that opening frame was, was very, very low. Got beat on a lot of plays where he just wasn't given very much effort. Uh, I really like the bench unit. This is one of the biggest takeaways I have from this game and really the last two, but especially this game. I really like the front court combination, the power forward center combination of JaVale McGee and Jamichael Green. I think it's a very, very good uh, combination. And if you look at the numbers from this last game, they defended incredibly well when they were on the court together. But one of the things is they actually got two Jamichael Green dunks in a row off of pick and rolls with JaVale McGee, where JaVale McGee put pressure on the rim. And you've got Jamichael Green out on the three-point line where his guy has to like not help off. Or he does help off and leaves Jamichael Green open. But what happened on these plays was Jamichael Green found cutting angles because his man was in help side and ends up getting one uh, a pass for a dunk and the other one a putback dunk. And it's just one of those things where it's like sometimes two players fit together and they augment each other's skills. JaVale McGee, very good, very long, very athletic, very good at putting pressure on the rim. Jamichael Green, v- very good shooter for, for his position and his height and is able at, at stretching the defense. So you get gravity pulling people in different directions. That's generally speaking what makes for a very good combination offensively if you can get the defense being pulled in two separate directions you're off to a good start and then so they they end the first half with two jermichael green dunks and they were great dunks and then you start or the first quarter then you start the second quarter with another javel mcgee roll and jermichael green single side tag and it becomes a, a three-pointer he, he he knocks down a three so it was really three plays in a row spanning two different quarters that the nuggets got 
A-plus looks out of, out of just running pick and roll with Michael Green on the on the opposite side as the floor spacer. JaVale McGee played smart in this game. I'm really impressed with him. He had an impact on the defensive end, just a 74.4 defensive rating when he was on the court, which is phenomenal. That means the Nuggets allowed 74.4 points per 100 possessions uh, when he was on the court. For reference, average, I think the season is somewhere around 110. So he's, you know, almost 50, 45 points below what would have been, you know, the average, which is really good. Small sample size, only 14 minutes, but it just shows that when he was on the court, the Nuggets were defending at a very high level. Um, and then this is no surprise. I've been talking about this a lot, but Facundo Campazzo, his three-point shooting is such a key. He, this was a tale of two halves, in my opinion, for him. I thought the, the, he really closed this game very strongly and looked great, and I think there were some things that Denver did specifically to kind of get him going. Um, but starting with the first unit and then even going into the second unit, he found himself open a lot. He needs to shoot 38% from three, maybe better. Um, because he's not really looking to take threes. He only takes them when he's left wide open and it's sort of like he has to. And the fact that he's taking those and still struggling with, or I shouldn't even say struggling. He's so streaky. Um, you know, that, that's going to be a real problem for him as a player. And I suspect, you know, this is his first year in the NBA, the European game, less of an emphasis on that from a guy like him, you know, still three point shooting. The Europeans especially brought that to the front court and really started, experimenting with their bigs being out on the perimeter more and knocking down shots. But in the NBA, and I think this summer, Compazzo can really elevate himself to a player that's so hit or miss, some nights great, some nights a liability, to being a guy that has real utility and more versatility, uh, meaning he can stay on the court with more combinations of players if he can just start to knock down that three and get that up a lot. So I, I imagine that going into the summer, he's going to spend an enormous amount of time focusing in on that. going to take our first break. I want to tell you about a new sponsor we have here, Headspace. Wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, and be better? There is, and if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Uh, Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA, and here's the best part. Headspace, uh, that's headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. That's a whole month-long free trial. Head on over to headspace.com slash LockedOnNBA. Show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money. Uh, why would you choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at chain stores or new car dealerships when you can go to rockauto.com and get the absolute best price, the same price for everybody, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're just an everyday guy trying to work on his car, 
you're going to get the same deal, the same great rate. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to RockAuto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. So go to RockAuto.com and don't forget, let them know that Locked On sent you by writing Locked On in, your ha- in the How Did You Hear About Us uh, box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Back here on the Locked On Nuggets podcast, want to remind you about Locked On Today, one of the new podcasts on the network. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast host, Peter Pukowski, updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Back here in the second quarter, going through the notes line by line here, and this is the point of the game where Michael Malone gets thrown out. And I thought it was a very well-timed throwing out. He said it was something that had been boiling over for a while. He wanted to make a point. I thought he did a good job of it. Not a great job. I don't know how memorable it will be. I don't know how impactful it will be. But Malone, man, I'll tell you what. Malone has a great anger face. I mean, he was as red as a tomato yesterday when he was getting thrown out. And it was funny because, yeah, the ball bounced to him. He picked it up and kind of put it on his hip like he was going to walk out. But, boy, he could really he can give some dirty looks, man. You don't want to be on the other end of a... Of, of a dirty look from Michael Malone, man. He could really shoot some daggers. Um, the Nuggets keep finding success. This is one of the coolest things, and this will be up on the list. The Nuggets keep finding success in their back screen, screen the screener action. This is something I've been highlighting on this show a lot, uh, but it's something I've been putting out on the list, on video up on the DNVR.com. That back screen, usually it's Jamal Murray, who's the best screener on the Nuggets, setting a back screen for Aaron Gordon, usually sometimes Michael Porter Jr., and because teams don't want to switch it. Well, what's funny is you run that action this... In this game, and even in the last game with no Jamal Murray, you run it with Monte Morris or Facundo Campazzo, two guys who are significantly worse, both as shooters, pick and roll, you know, scorers, but also as uh, screeners. You know, they're just smaller. It's hard when you're small to set like great screens because you're such a smaller base. Both of those guys, though, running it still works. Still works almost just as well. I mean, they've run it maybe a half dozen, maybe maybe more than that times over the last two games, and they keep getting A-plus looks out of it and converting most of them. So it's funny how, how it works like that when you have those big players, a Jokic, an Aaron Gordon, a Michael Porter, uh, you know, you could still get success out of that one. They also ran a sideline out of bounds two different times. Delay screen the screener. It's another one of the plays I've been talking about a lot where this time, though, out of the timeout, they have Jokic inbound the ball, and then he would, and rather it be in the corner, the baseline out of bounds is a little higher up the up the court, so it's a, it's like at the um, three-point line, the top of the key, but to the side, you know, obviously coming out of the sideline. And so what's funny is the first time they run this, they end up catching Jakob Pertl on the screen because that's the, how the play works. There's usually a play in, player in the corner, and you get an angled screen from your point guard uh, so that that player can curl towards the basket. Well, this time, usually it's Michael Porter or Aaron Gordon. In the inbound play, it's, it's Nikola Jokic. So now you're having Compazzo or Monte screening you, tiny point guard screening on the big. And the first time they get a nice clean screen on Jakob Pertl, Jokic sprints to a curl cut and ends up getting a dunk out of it. Okay, so that works. The second time, later in the game, 
They have another sideline out of bounce play. And what's interesting is they set up the play. Jakob Pertl's ready for it. He sees the same formation, okay? He sinks far off, so he's far enough away from the sideline that you can't, you know, you'd have to go too far around to screen, meaning he can't be screened the exact same direction. So what happens? I believe it was Monte Morris who, rather than get behind him, he sets the screen in front of him, and rather than curl towards the basket, Jokic inbounds the ball, walks to the three-point line, and now it's a, a flare screen of sorts from Monte Morris, and he gets an open... Actually, what happens is they get a switch. DeJounte Murray comes out on Jokic and did his job. Jokic, though, in that specific instance, didn't want it. He actually wanted to post up Jakob Pertl, so he kind of like waits and lets them switch back and then goes and posts up Pertl and scores. But nonetheless, the point remains, they run that play, you get two different actions out of it, and it was just, there's so many interesting little wrinkles to that to that specific play that was cool. Um, Eric, Aaron Gordon, really good at backside rim protection. Really good. I mean, in some ways, he's like a athletic, hyper-athletic Paul Millsap because he keeps getting over... Uh, reading it and and sprinting like you have to play in between the corner. You know, you're when you're help side, you're the farthest. Your guy's the farthest pass from the ball, but that skip pass becomes a corner three. You have to play not too far away from him, but get all the way over so you can stop the lob. And he's just so athletic that he can cover both spots if he needs to, and so tall, athletic and tall. And he's just really good at it. I'm telling you, that's a, a huge, huge addition for the Denver Nuggets. First play out of uh, the half in the in the half court was actually that old X-out or peel action that they used to run for Michael Porter, where it's two screens across the free throw line. And it's basically a play for him to ISO. And it's just interesting because, one, I just mentioned on the show, I think a day or two ago, about how the Nuggets hadn't been running that action for him. All of his buckets have been coming in, you know, one-on-one situations. But that they called that sort of number. Um, But they ran it for him and, and got a look at it. Didn't score in large part because the second half was absolutely dumb. The Or the second the start of the second half. Jokic missed like three easy shots. He got frustrated. He tried to force a really bad foul drawing one. Um, you know, I think Faku missed a bucket. Everybody was missing. Michael Porter missed. It was four minutes the Nuggets went without a bucket. And part of this was some bad luck, you know, missing bunnies or whatever, open shots. But a lot of it was some really uninspired basketball. Like the Nuggets just looked annoyed to be on the court. That's the only way I could describe it. They looked annoyed. And it's funny because, you know, watching live, it's always the Altitude Broadcast rewatch. I always watch the other ones, see what you pick up differently. But they were commenting on it, like, man, the Nuggets don't look like they want to be out there. And it's true. I don't I don't know what it what it was, fatigue, it, you know, something. But they went from up four to down double figures, you know, kind of quickly or down eight. I think they were down double figures at one point um, really, really quickly. And it was just ugly, man. It was really ugly. But what's nice, the first shot to go was, an Aaron Gordon fadeaway, which I actually don't love. If, if you remember, it's the play that I don't know how the ball went in. That ball was as close as I could ever seen a ball of not going in as that one did. It kind of just dances on the rim for a second, then falls forward. Um, looked like it had no chance. But what I didn't like about that one is it was a great cut by him, sort of a duck in cut. He has a little guy on him, and he immediately goes to a fallaway, like a five foot fallaway. He's so big, he's just got to learn how to go like up stronger and at the basket on those plays, in my opinion, because he's not that his touch on shots is not that great. So the more he can make his moves power moves, the less finesse, I think, the better. Um, but that one he got to go, and it was great because it broke a f- over four-minute streak. And then, you know, there's a timeout. They come back on the court, and Jokic, this are like subtle MVP things. The Nuggets needed a basket. They hadn't been playing well. And Jokic goes three straight times. The first one, that post move, the it reverse pivot uh, foot, beautiful move, gets a wide-open layup. Uh, the next one was a floater that he nails, kind of a contested floater, probably got 
uh, fouled. And then the next one was a putback. It wasn't really a putback. It was more of Aaron Gordon drives to the basket in transition and fumbles the ball. Jokic picks it up and then puts it in. And then on the next play on defense, he gets a great steal in the pick and roll. It, it was like they're playing uninspired basketball. You get a timeout. You could tell it was like, hey, something's up. There's just no energy. And Jokic comes out with like intensity out of that timeout and goes on like his own personal 6-0 run and gets a steal. And that was... The Nuggets might have lost the game if it weren't for that 30-second stretch or 70-second stretch, whatever it was, a very small period of window of time where Jokic turned it from nothing but negative energy and momentum in San Antonio's favor to great energy and Denver getting right back into the game. And I like that uh, after, you know, halfway through the third quarter, the substitution pattern brought in Monte Morris and P.J. Dozier for Compasso and Barton. So Monte Dozier, Michael Porter, Gordon, Jokic, you still get those three big guys in your front court, um, but you get to play them now with Monte and Dozier, and I just think that's great. Dozier gives you, you know, a lot of defense and length, and Monte obviously gives you shooting, floor spacing, and, and just point guard play, and it worked like a charm. That lineup really took off and and started the run that got Denver right back into it. They get C corner, um, Worked even with the defense sitting on. This is what I love, and this play is going to go up on the clip uh, uh, on the list, and you're going to love it because it was one of those ones where everybody knows what's coming. Rudy Gay sees it. He tries to sag off it, but as I've tried to highlight, one of the things I've been trying to highlight as I show these plays, everybody that analyzes plays in the not everybody, a lot of people that analyze plays in the NBA, they just talk about like it, it's a diagram, and everybody follows it as if it were football. That's how football works, right? A guy has a route, and he runs it. It doesn't matter what the defense does. You have to run this route and the timing of it, and you practice the timing so you could do it blindfolded and all this different these different things. The NBA is not like that, or basketball, the game of basketball is not like that. You know, there's plays, but there's reads off of every play. There's very few plays where it's like it doesn't matter what the defense does. You have to go here. There's It's a lot of this is the play. If the defense plays you this way, you do this. If the defense goes that way, you do that. And on, and that's why I like plays like this. And on this one, you know, Rudy Gay's reading it. He's sitting on it. And he sinks down to where you can't set the screen. Gordon then looks like he's going to pop up and receive a handoff from Jokic. Rudy Gay steps forward for a second. Gordon sprints to the basket. And he gets right to the basket for an and one, a, a layup and an and one. So, again, defense knows exactly what you're trying to do. But if you're crafty enough, you could. it's paper, rock, scissors. They do this, you do that. And Gordon already starting to do a very good job of that. Going to take our final break here to remind you about betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, college basketball might be over, but the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball all in full swing. Betonline.com even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV, you name it. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget, use promo code LOCKEDON when you sign up. Final segment here on the Locked On Nuggets podcast. First, want to remind you about Locked On NBA Drafts. Brand new show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credential draft experts. It's not that far until we're at the NBA Draft, so give them a follow, Locked On NBA Draft. Finishing up some notes here, Denver starts going on a run with that group. I mentioned Monte and Dozier coming in. Um, I don't mind one little note. I see every time Jokic throws one of those touchdown passes and it goes too far and it goes out of bounds, or they intercept it and maybe they start coming back the other way. 
I always see the timeline say, Jokic is getting sloppy. I don't like, he needs to tighten up his passes. But I want to kind of give this perspective to it. I've long said that Jokic is going to have more turnovers than most people because of how much he handles the ball, how many decisions he makes, how much he's the fulcrum of the team when he's on the court. The team's turnover rate is going to tell you a lot more than his individual one. And here's the thing, and I bring this up because Jokic was two for two on touchdown passes in this one that produced points. Uh, Two for two. And if you throw the ball too far on, though, you go for a Hail Mary too many times, you throw it away, okay? That's a turnover. You get zero points out of it. If you hit on that, it's almost always two or three points when he has those 70-foot passes, automatic two or three points. So if you hit on those 50% of the time, you're producing one point per attempt. And then the other one's a turnover where your defense gets set because he went too far. Your defense gets set, and, and it's just a regular defensive possession. If you convert on those 60% of the time, Okay, now you're above the league average offense. Signific- actually, you're above, if you get 60% of those, convert on 60% of them, the other 40 are turnovers that go out of bounds, you're actually better than the league's best offensive rating. You're at 1.2 points per possession. So those turnovers happen as long as they happen basically about 57% of the time he connects on them to where they don't turn the ball over. It's a success. And I know that's hard to wrap your head around because a turnover feels like a whip empty possession. But again, what, what's happening in that is Jokic is going for a play that is resulting in two points or resulting in a turnover. And again, as long as you're 57% on those passes, I think you're okay. And then, like Steph Curry with his three-pointers, there's an auxiliary benefit that happens when you become known, as Jokic is, as a guy that you have to get back on defense for. You have to run back. He's going to throw over the top. When you do that, you end up rebounding, cleaning the glass a little bit better because teams are afraid to crash the boards. It just, to me, it's not an issue. Like I think people freak out because turnovers is like a counting stat, and, and they think, ah, oh, you know, can't turn can't turn the ball over. It's really about the team's aggregate turnovers, and it's also about the type of turnovers. A turnover at the top of the key where the defense steals it goes the other way for a dunk. Not the same as Jokic throwing a turnover a little bit too far. It goes out of bounds, and then your defense is set. They're just not comparable. Um, Porter was like one for five in this game on bad shots. I mentioned it wasn't my favorite Michael Porter game. It's funny. He did force a few shots. He hit one of them in transition early on where he was like foot on the three point line, you know, like the longest two you could possibly have five defenders, no offensive players. And he takes it, but he made that one, but he had a couple other ones that I thought were bad shots and he missed all of them. And it's just kind of noteworthy tonight. He flirted with going below 50% for the first time in a month. He finished seven of 14, um, by making his final three pointer of the game, but you know, I still think that I want him to be comfortable. When I say bad shots, he can take bad shots within the flow of the offense, meaning, you know, he just comes off. He's not quite as open as you would think, but he's so good. Let's keep doing it. And then there's bad shots where you go away from the offense or you force something in transition with no passes. Those are two different types of bad shots. He can take bad shots within the flow of the offense and be a little more aggressive than, say, a Will Barton uh, or Aaron Gordon should be. Um, I think that's fine. And he's mostly been very good about this. But I am curious, as his profile rises, if he can. it's going to be such a challenge for him to sort of stay both aggressive and confident but still within the the sort of rules of the offense the principles of the offense and in this game to me i would give him like a b minus at that regard maybe a c plus so one of his worst games in that regard over the last 15 um the 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 aaron gordon steal off of a steal was the most impressive one of the most impressive plays of the entire year if you know what i'm talking about somebody throws the ball i think it's monte morris throws a pass that gets intercepted you gets tipped by uh dejounte murray and Aaron Gordon goes for it right as DeJounte Murray goes for it. So your attention is on going for the ball. 
But then it gets tipped to DeMar DeRozan, and DeMar DeRozan catches it and immediately like tries to throw it. Aaron Gordon goes from lunging for the ball between DeJounte Murray and him to immediately going to intercept a pass slash stealing a pass right out of his hands uh, from, from DeMar DeRozan. The way he transitioned body movements from do, trying to do one thing to immediately trying to do another thing and exceeding at it is just the most incredible like athleticism and body control. It was such an underrated play. That was a huge play. Um, it was a seven-point lead when the bench came in, and the bench immediately pushed it to 15. As I mentioned, I love the bench with Jermichael Green and JaVale McGee. It makes sense. I love the bench unit with two guards that is not Monte and Faku. Whether it's Faku and Dozier or Monte and Dozier, I don't mind it. Monte and Murray, Faku and Murray. Like, you can make those combos. Monte, Faku, you really have to have the right combinations of players around those two if you're going to do it. But giving JaVale McGee, like letting him be out on the court, Monte's a good defender. Uh, or Faku's a great defender. You know, P.J. Dozier's a very good defender. Jamichael Green's a good defender. JaVale McGee's a good defender. You put enough defenders out there, you're going to get some stops, and that unit's defense was incredible. And then once you have shooting from Jamichael Green, rim pressure from JaVale, it just works out. And that unit went on an absolute crush, uh, and it was great. The big question, and the thing that we might learn as early as Friday, it sounds like Murray now is upgraded to questionable. I know people were, myself included, a little concerned for how long he was going to be out. Looks like he'll be back, if not Friday. If they do elect to hold him back, at least it sounds like he is very near uh, to, to being back one way or the other, and that's good. But the question remains, if that's your rotation and you don't like Monte and Faku together off the bench, but you like one of them with Dozier, what happens when Murray comes back? How do you make room for everybody? Do you end up going back? Does Malone get back to trying to play all of them because he likes all of them, and so you start playing three point guards and you got Monte and Faku and Dozier lineups again? I don't know. Um, does it do, do those lineups suddenly look better when you have JaVale McGee playing? What happened? What about Paul Millsap? He was out just for rest. It was a back to back, and I think the Nuggets are probably going to rest him on back to backs, you know, for the rest of the season. But now he'll be back. So does he play? Does JaVale not play? Does Jamichael Green not play? Um, those are real questions. I think there's something to be said for Denver's lineups. Quite often, look their best when Malone's hands are tied, and you know they were tied last night. They might not be on Monday. And I'm really curious to see what he does. That's it for today's episode, guys. Notebook episode of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Don't forget, leave a rating and review if you haven't already. We appreciate getting those. They help continue to grow the show. And they help show my boss that people still care about us uh, and enjoy the show. So, ch- so do those two things for us. And then we're going to be back tomorrow at noon on the Locker Room app for a mailbag edition. Don't forget that one. We'll see you all then. <laughs>